Optimism Vaccine. Uh, I'm Steve, and joining me this week, we've got Adam Myros, I've got uh, Jake Trapila, and Jack Eason. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm Jake. <laughs> Catchphrase <laughs> <I'm> never <not>. fails. <laughs> we got a call and response going. Good. Well, this could be, could be somebody's first episode. We wanted them to know who's speaking. That's true. So when they buy the Optimism Vaccine t-shirt that has your face on it that says, I'm Jake, like they know what they're buying. They understand the product, right? Or I feel like legally, some some degree of uh, uncertainty as to who's speaking might actually benefit us in the long run. Yeah, probably. Good point, Adam Iros. (laughs) Ah, yes. I wonder if he developed his new streamlined intro as part of his uh, podcast curriculum. my, my My podcasting career is taking off. Doctor podcasts, um, listen, man. I uh, I got I have a I have a fourteen inch Polish sausage in my refrigerator. Have you, Jack? Have you been to Delhi for you in Chicago or the Greater Chicago everywhere? No, I have not. But I'm I'm intrigued by anything that's fourteen inches. It's it's massive. It's it's girthy. It's long. It's it's it, like just holding it in its package makes my hands smell like Does meaty it and sweat? earthy. Yeah, it's sweating everywhere. Um, the, I, I've never seen anything like it before. Basically, I don't even know how to cook the fucking thing. How do you, how do you put a, a 14 inch Polish sausage in a pan? You can't. I'm going to have to like fire up my grill in the middle of January. I'm not sure how to handle yeah. this. I got the Polish rye soup going. Oh, so much good shit. You should look that place up. I think it's in like Schaumburg or something. There's a couple of them right around Chicago. That's yeah. I, I might have some closer to me. I know there's like a, a meat place pretty close to me. Probably deals in all. I think it's even specifically Polish. So you know. Yeah, that's the good shit. A lot of Poles. Yeah, Schaumburg is like it's. There's one in Schaumburg, and then there's there's two or three other ones, but they're all in in the towns that are around Chicago, but not in Chicago, where like guys in backwards baseball caps with business administration degrees, like when they say they're from Chicago, that's where they're actually from. So, you know, like Naperville yep. and shit, all those places. Known issue. Known issue. Exactly. Exactly. It's a bit of a gradual transition away from the, the porn episodes here. You guys have just fixated on thick sausage and poles. <laughs> Adam, we're about to go. We're about to go right. We're going to go full That's beefcake, Adam. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going. To, oh, my God. We've rallied the beefcake army. Um, This is. Yeah, we, we last couple of weeks we did porn without any sex in it. And now we're doing. I don't know, action films that are just oozing with raw sex appeal. Sex because, without porn in it? Oh, oh my God. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to watch a 1980s sword and sorcery film without just immediately creaming your jeans, as far as I'm considered. Uh, it's unbelievable, the things that we've watched this week. Uh, also, a lot of positive male bonding and friendship, like... Can you think of a single time in this podcast where we've been just overwhelmed with more just positive dude vibes? It's true. Dudes hanging out, killing other dudes. 
That's right. Just supporting each other, loving each other. You know, sometimes a dude will, will walk away to do something else, but he always comes back to save his bud. It's really beautiful stuff, honestly. Yeah, you know, as I think about it, none of these movies even have, like, a, a woman never gets between any of the dudes, frankly. In no. fact, in one of them, the woman represents specifically, like, all the dudes are out to kill her because she's just bitch. Hate her. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, yeah, like, Sword and Sorcery is the purest dude's rock genre ever, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, yeah, let's, I guess we're going to start somewhere that isn't quite in the Sword and Sorcery genre, but um, it's Sword and Sorcery adjacent, kind of mixed with a little Star Wars, maybe. Uh, we watch Masters of the Universe. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. Abrupt end there. Yeah, I I had to stop it after that because it just goes on and on and on. Also, it's weird. This one man. Who is this man? Skeletor, a man in this context? I'm not sure. Well, there's one man that can stop him. It's a whole team. They're the masters, plural, of the universe. Not a single master of the universe. Yeah, He-Man's the star of the show. Well, you wouldn't really know that from this movie. Who who constitutes the masters of the universe? Like that fucking <laughs> uh, dad and a uh, random woman. and Well, I mean, it's Man-at-Arms and Tila, but you wouldn't know that from the movie. I don't think either are given names or are, and are just vaguely recognizable from their uh, more prominent pop culture form. But, yeah. Uh, Really, it's just kind of He-Man, and and we're told he's leading an army of uh, resistance warriors, but they're not in the movie. No, <laughs> no they're not. Uh, this is a this is a kick-ass movie that has literally nothing to do with Masters of the Universe, and I think that's super super funny. That's that's my biggest takeaway from the whole thing. Yeah, somehow I never saw this growing up. This is actually my first time watching this, but I was a huge He-Man fan as a kid, and like I figured tuning into this, I pretty much know where I'm at. But like, there's no cringe or battle cats there's not even a prince adam there's uh no orco right. like nothing like this is i don't understand how when they adapted masters of the universe they came up with a film like this this just feels like they just managed to acquire the rights and just decided and said they were doing i, I guess star wars is definitely the the major the major thing they're aping but it's like why would you do that with he-man it's it's incredibly confusing experience to kind of have a genre or a, a property that we all know pretty well and that it just doesn't fit the film at all the final film could be anything yeah yeah i guess billy barty is like substitute orco maybe i i Gwildor. i think what happens with a movie like this is kind of fascinating because it has it it's based off this property that was at the time fucking massive like Masters of the Universe was one of the best, most successful toy lines of all time in the 80s. And the cartoon was huge, but it was, and it has a lot of lore. And it is very much in the zeitgeist when this movie comes out, even if it's a little late to the game. But it, I feel like a lot of these movies, they have an edict. And you see the same thing, especially in something like uh, Tur- uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, where they're trying to add in additional characters to sell new toys, but at the expense of the characters that exist that the people who are buying the ticket want to see. Hey, who needs Bebop and Rocksteady? We got Toka and Razor, man. Come on. 
Yeah, here we don't have anything nearly so iconic as Toka and Razor. We have uh, Blade <laughs> and whoever that <laughs> that guy with the big Sauron. wig and hook hands. Yeah, Skeletor's finest warriors who all get defeated by Courtney Cox. <laughs> Basically. And that's the other thing in this film. It's like this um this movie in terms of its structure and storyline like first it doesn't take place in Eternia mostly the first 20 minutes or so are on Eternia and there's a lot of great map paintings and special effects and magic and it's like this is what I'm expecting and then they just show up in like 80s every town USA because they travel interdimensionally and then it's just like about two teen lovers who are like getting over a difficult breakup uh, and uh, Courtney Cox is one of them and her parents died and she's sad and it's like I don't understand how I don't understand how they would fit into the Masters of the Universe concept, and ultimately the the answer is they don't at all. It's yeah. like three movies that don't have anything to do with Masters of the Universe awkwardly sticky taped together to make this movie. Yeah, well, and Gary Goddard, the the director, I, I read an interview with him, and pretty much when he came onto the project, Dolph Lundgren was locked in. Okay. And they were shopping the movie around. They had the script and they had Dolph. That's what they had. And they they got way less money than they thought they were gonna get. I think Paramount offered them sixteen million and then Canon came in at like seventeen and a half, uh, which is an obscene amount of money for them, but really not a lot of money. It is odd to me though, because I don't know. You look at some of the other movies that we watched this week or, or just other sword and sorcery films that are similar, like He-Man and Jason, and they look better and they were made for a fraction of the money. So it makes makes me wonder, how much did Dolph Lundgren ask for? <laughs> really? How much of that money went straight into his pocket? How, how much could he have asked for? I mean, Dolph, I guess he's coming off Rocky Four, so exactly. he was like established. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, like the Dolph train never really got rolling that heavily no uh, this was probably peak Dolph for what it's yeah. worth but like after that he tucked in behind Van Damme and for a decade two decades he was like not quite Van Damme and Van Damme was not quite Schwarzenegger and you know moving on up the line yeah yeah it seems like a, a waste of but I mean I like Dolph and all but he's not and he's not bad in this movie, no. but he doesn't have anything to he's fucking do. Pretty, I, I mean, I feel sorry for him. I, yeah. I, I, I talk about the, the tiers of action stars, and I think they're all, like, Dolph Lundgren actually is a surprisingly adept actor when he's allowed to act, just as Van Damme is as well. And they never get kudos mm-hmm. for that, for the films they tend to get jammed into. But I, my takeaway watching this is that Dolph Lundgren looks so uncomfortable throughout because I think he's... This might be the first movie where he had to work with marks and visual effects a lot. He looks like he is scared to move throughout the whole film. He like yeah. looks like he's just like second guessing his position on screen. So he just looks super uncomfortable. And I'm guessing the He-Man outfit was probably not like not probably that chill to wear either. What little <laughs> of it there is. It feels like you could sell your movie on Schwarzenegger, I guess, you, you know, if you're making a Masters of the Universe movie, I'm sure that's the first call you make. But if you don't get him, Dolph Lundgren is not selling tickets ever, really. You, you might as well just, again, go to a movie we just we're going to talk about in a little bit here and and call up Mark Singer. There, there'd be a fantastic he bet at a, a quarter but, of the yeah, price. Like, who else is in this movie? I mean, they're I mean, Frank Langella. Uh, Frank Langella. Yeah. OK. Fair. And, and they put on this goofy mask on him. And we could I mean. 
one of my major takeaways from this is that I guess I just don't understand what Skeletor is. Adam, you filled in some backstory I didn't know about that his like face was burned off. Like always Skeletor to me was like, you know, an animated skeleton. But then as I think back on it, he always like he was always a beefcake like everyone else in the universe. Like he had human arms and shit, but he had like a skeleton face. And then it occurred to me, you know, that would never read on a, in a film. It reads in a cartoon because you can kind of bend the rules. But in a film, like an actual exposed skeleton face couldn't enunciate, it couldn't express anything, it would suck. But what they come up with here is this quasi-skeleton-esque rubber thing that moves with his lips and like has expressions and stuff, but it's clearly not a skeleton and his nose is clearly poorly inked in his nasal cavities. It is a really shoddy to my estimation, a really shoddy uh, special effect to run with for the main villain, who's supposed to be very scary. It seems to be a makeup effect they struggled with for a long time. Cause you see the same thing in the 90s uh, Captain America movie, where they tried mm-hmm. to do Red Skull, and it just looks fucking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, Skeletor, I don't know. It is, it is kind of complicated. The Masters of the Universe, again, based on what it is, you know, a thing designed to sell toys that it's gone through, you know, four or five iterations of story, but initially Skeletor is is nothing. You know, he's an interdimensional conqueror. And then as it goes on, he's given more of a storyline where he's he's King Randor, who again does not exist in this movie, uh, the father of He Man. Uh he's his brother or half brother in in some continuities, who is uh again many different uh ways that they explained all of this where he in in one respect was kind of like lost he was interested in mystic arts and kind of lost himself and became this monster and in another respect he was trying to usurp his brother and yeah had had a disfigurement and was bonded with this other being to create skeletor and it, it's it's very muddled and i'm kind of glad they don't really go into that although if they would have just glommed onto the brother angle i suppose he could have had something shakespearean going on Mm -hmm. simply with this sort of film yeah the the overall plot here doesn't make a lot of sense because we only find out in like the the last 10 minutes that there's like some kind of you like skeletor talks extensively about conquering the universe which fair enough but then it's only in the last 10 minutes we find out there's actually some kind of ultimate power that he's actually latching onto that's why he like I just assumed he just conquered Eternia and he considered that to be the universe and he would march on everywhere else. He was just a great military leader. But there's actually ultimately some kind of spiritual power that he manages to harness at the end that that crowns him master of, like, literal master of the universe, which ultimately, spoiler alert, He-Man gets. But uh, very mm-hmm. confusing. Yeah, that that is the confusing end. I mean, it it is... Castle Grayskull in in the He-Man stories is this sort of mystic center of power in the universe. And Skeletor is often questing for that power. And that's that's fine and well. He doesn't really need more motivation than that. But it's the method in which he procures it in this film and what he requires to attain and or keep it that is very, very muddy. Like Which is to Dom Dolph Lundgren, I believe. Right, like, the movie is set up as he already has control of Castle Grayskull, he's draining the sorceress of all her power, and when the full moon rises, he'll be, like, God. 
And then... And that's the first, like, five minutes. <laughs> yeah, He-Man is the only one who could stop him. And immediately He-Man is sent across the, the universe to Earth. Wouldn't Skeletor just be like, cool, guess no one's going to stop me then. He's got the cosmic key! The whole film seems to be justifying not killing the heroes. Like, at all times mm. throughout, it's like, you have to go and find them and bring them back alive. And, he has, and don't kill him yet. You know, they capture someone, they're like, don't kill him yet, I want to gloat more. And it's kind of like, there, there's no convincing reason why anyone, why Skeletor loses up until the very end. It's, uh, yeah, it, it kind of... Is it just a very confusing film? And then getting back to just the idea of what they're selling and stuff, I mean, it introduces, like, a an Earth cast of, like, Courtney Cox and her boyfriend and a cop, like, a tough-talking, no-nonsense cop. For, and it's, <laughs> it's like, who are these guys? Like, these couldn't even be action figures. You couldn't... And Courtney Cox is not, like, you think they cast, you know, beautiful Courtney Cox is, like, a... a sexy marketing element like not at all she's just kind of a small town every girl kind of she dresses like a 40 year old yeah she looks like a frumpy housewife in her 40s and i, I guess when they brought her in for a screen test uh initially the director just was like no not gonna happen she looks too old so they had her come back in and they didn't have her wear like any makeup or anything. And he was just like, okay, now I see she, she'd be great for the role. And then apparently when they started filming, they just made her look 40 again. So <laughs> I, I don't, I don't understand that. It's like, I mean, in a powerful dude rocks vibe, certainly, but it's kind of like, you know, if you're hiring, like traditionally in genre cinema, you surely lean into a good looking cast and they're like, no, we don't care. Doesn't dude, matter. What is the most dudes rock thing you can possibly do <laughs> in a sword and sorcery movie? And the answer is a subplot where a guy who likes to play synthesizers finds a cosmic music device yeah. and then he goes to his buddy's music store and bros down over it. Why is it? Yeah. That's the ultimate. <laughs> it's like the thrust of this movie feels like a discarded Bill and Ted subplot right down to the feel of just being set in every town america circa 1987 because mm -hmm. uh, i i i should say i've i've never seen any masters of the universe property before this so i feel like my enjoyment may i may have missed the boat by some time so i was like a little <laughs> excited going into it because again we get those great um matte paintings of uh the planet eternia and then he-Man shows up and like there's this he's got a laser gun which I didn't know that he had and the fights seem to be He doesn't have <laughs> No, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then like he's so he starts just chopping dudes up and every other shot is like a close up of his glistening torso which seems to reflect other lasers right. off of it. But then yeah, then we get just stuck on earth with this like lame cop following around boyfriend while they try to figure out secret device that plays music subplot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically every weird head-scratching decision in this movie was made because the director was completely fed up with people from Mattel basically hovering around him and trying to figure mm. out what to turn into toys. And also the fact that he just didn't have the budget to do what the script was asking him to do. So he just started cutting shit out so there's no orco because he was like there's how do you make orco fly you're gonna have to have wires and shit it's gonna be a pain it's gonna look like shit we're not doing it um the entire movie takes place at night because he said you know we don't have money for real special effects it's gonna look like ass but if we do it at night 
it'll look less like ass. And oh. they, they couldn't even afford extras, which is why any town USA has a population of six. Yeah, they go to even the school when the, dance. The entire city's blowing up. And there's two people there. <laughs> yeah. The- yeah, it is absolutely barren. It's like a fucking Antonioni movie or something. Like, there's just <laughs> no one around. Too high a compliment. Yeah, they don't even try to hide that it's a fucking soundstage like the whole time. They just transport the soundstage to eternity. Oh, yeah. Not even like, like not even it. a soundstage. Like, the, the centerpiece fight scene is like in the warehouse behind the soundstage where the set yeah. is just stacks <laughs> of boxes that topple over. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this came in under budget, though. So we'll give it that. I don't think it made its money back, but it, it should have. I mean, this is this is fine. It's a fun movie. Sure. As a as a vehicle for toy sales, it's it's also kind of strange because I think that I'm trying to think what I had. Like, I think they made four toys from this movie. There was yeah. no Skeletor variant. There was no He-Man variant. There was a Gwildor. Mm. There was a Sorod. There was a blade and there was a carg, so it's not like they made some windfall. Oh, really? So the so the the classic the classic pink cruiser car didn't get its own toy. The replacement for like Battle Cat. It's a mode of transportation. <laughs> hey, man, you can't. They can't afford actual Battle Cats for this movie. But I mean, the the fact that it was made in in eighty seven. He-Man was already on its way out at this point because it was. Yeah, I mean, when the, the last season probably ran in like '85, and then She-Ra was probably '86, and then by '87, there He-Man was there was no new episodes. It was probably running in syndication, but there was nothing new. Yeah, it was it was zapping across the ocean for for Irish eyes. I can tell you that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, as someone who grew up like a huge Masters of the Universe fan, it really had absolutely nothing to do with the cartoon. Like, I, it was I'm too young, just slightly too young for the cartoon. Honestly, mm-hmm. like I was just uh, enamored of the toys. Like they, and that's the whole strength of the property that they kind of miss with that. Like He Man and Beastmaster and Conan the Barbarian all came out the same exact year and they hearkened to sort of new wave of sword and sandal stuff. But it's mm-hmm. it had faded at this stage. And what what you lean on with something like Masters of the Universe that drew me as a kid had nothing to do with He-Man. It had to do with all of these fucking weird side characters and the monsters that Skeletor and Hordak have as their minions and stuff. And none mm-hmm. of that's here. It's just it's not here. Nope. The who the weird side characters are either people you don't, the only one who's here is is Beastman and uh, he looks like shit but uh, <laughs> you know. Beastman had a rough a rough trip through the galaxy. Oh my god, I I like Karg the best. Karg looks like like someone's grandma that's seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> like what is it? What is his power even? So I mean uh, hooks. Yeah, I, he's yeah. got he's got, he's the, got hooks. the hooks. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, snake guy that gets killed. He's got the the scary claw fingers. Uh, the the blade guy, he's got I mean the titular blades. Blade beast swords. man is an actual beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karg is uh, Karg. Come on, Karg, little grandma. He's like four foot ten. <laughs> they had to kill Sora because it was too expensive of a prop. Probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, Evil Lynn makes it in uh, the most. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that you know, I always have sympathy for Evil Lynn because honestly, if you named your kid Evil Lynn, she's probably got limited yeah. career paths. But she shows up as like the. <laughs> Skeletor second in command. So that's yeah, Meg someone else. 
And then we and we have uh, one thing I do want to point out, which is always really weird, uh, but it kind of reminds me how things never really change. Because um, we, we, you know, in the modern day, a lot of talks Disney and diversity, and you know, the the Marvel properties, and you know, they had like a landmark gay moment, I believe, in one of the the Marvel Civil War movie or Infinity Battle shit or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> <laughs> where where one of the one of the Russo brothers, I believe, shows up and just says like I'm gay or something. Yeah, he shows up in therapy. <laughs> he's in like or, or no, he's in like a twelve step program where he's just like, so I'm an alcoholic. P.S. I do gay stuff, and then everyone just in the theater stood up and applauded. Amazing, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Masters of the Universe really paves the way for that in a remarkable moment where uh, Tila, played by Chelsea Field, best known as Bruce Willis's. Uh, hard-worn or like hard-worn wife in the last boy scout uh she plays tila and at one point she's like returning fire in the music store that much of the film inexplicably is set in and uh she just shoots some guy and she just goes woman at arms and it's like <laughs> all right and that's like a real yeah. girl power moment but like, oh three spice girls this is like a real like an, a genuine 80s girl power moment and it is every bit as meaningless and confusing as every girl power <laughs> moment that would would follow i had a full-on yas queen seizure on the floor when that happened i was just so overwhelmed it was, it was thank great. you for being an ally steve <laughs> <laughs> Just what choices? Couldn't have like weird fucking characters that are even even the good guys have a shitload of weird fucking characters you could pull from. It's like where the hell's like a Ram Man or something like that? Give me a Ram Man, not fucking the Earth's worst bargain bin man at arms. And Ram team. Man was like the dumbest toy, like the absolutely <laughs> terrible toy. But come on, wouldn't it be cinematic? <laughs> <laughs> there were so many walls and boxes they go through that, yeah, honestly, he could have been a major, major benefit to them strategically. I mean, and the close of this film is basically Dolph Lundgren, like, popping a squat on a manhole cover that flies. And that's like an extensive <laughs> sequence. Oh, God, that whole, like, it, that whole end sequence where they <laughs> do the horrific, like, green screen weirdo flying thing. It's, oh, boy. That's that's a little so rough Steve, around the edges. So Steve, yeah. you you said prior to this that you your your main argument for this was going to be that this movie is better than Return of the Jedi. Are are you sticking that's correct. to that? Absolutely, I'm sticking to it. This is 100 percent better than Return <laughs> of the Jedi. Um, let me let me tell you why. Um, one, there's no Ewoks because Ewoks are kind of fucking lame. And the Ewoks, remember how there's they sing that little door. song at the end, the the wub wub song at the end, and and when you're like five years old, you're like, oh, that's great. No, that shit sucks. In Masters of the Universe, you know what the song is? Uh, well, first of all, the orchestral score is just a ripoff of the Superman score, which is really good. So that's a great place to start. Second of all, uh, Masters of the Universe has Living in a Box by the band Living in a Box oh, yeah. off of the album oh, yeah. <laughs> Living in a Box. The best record in 1987, maybe, probably. Why not? So I wonder, what, the, what the fuck does Living in a Box have to do with Masters of the Universe? About as much as the rest of this movie, I guess. <laughs> What? It is playing very early in the film for no reason. But can, can you think of a better song band album, though? Because the only other one I can think of is Bad Company is Bad Company off a of Bad Company, which isn't as good as Living in a Box. <laughs> I just I just had a remembrance of my favorite part of this movie. Sorry for the, for the minor non sequitur. We can get back to the Living in a Box thing. Good. And uh, there's one there's one great scene in the as I mentioned the music store where an ex inexplicably lengthy amount of this film is, is uh, unfolds where they're having a shootout and the cop asks the owner if he has a gun 
uh, you know, for burglaries. And the guy is like, yeah, I do. It's just there. And he doesn't point behind the counter. He just points behind a random keyboard in the middle of the showroom floor. And there's a fucking shotgun <laughs> there. That's right. That's right. This movie has interesting ideas about self-defense. I mean, we, we could say we could argue that that's a, a, a commentary on the nature of space and spatial dimensions, uh, you know, which mm. the film explores through radically <laughs> uh, inserting Dolph Lundgren. Uh, no, it's not. It's just it, this film doesn't appear to be very well planned out. Like, it really feels like from shot to shot, they were just kind of winging it endlessly. That's the canon way, baby. <laughs> that that is the kind of way there's so many good just like throwaway moments in this movie too that are so hilarious and i i don't feel like they get enough credit like there is a part where i was just dying laughing because uh it's it's when they first pull up to uh courtney cox's dead parents house and all the lights are on and the cop guy is just like Oh, well, they, they, somebody must be home. All the lights are on. And then our our little like synth boy hero is just like, oh, no, they leave the lights on to keep the burglars away. And then they immediately just walk up to the door and open it. Like they didn't <laughs> fucking lock the doors. They just that's, leave all the that's lights exactly on. exactly the, the level of care and attention to detail that just defines <laughs> this entire film. But it's it's like it. I part of me thinks it had to be done intentionally because the comedic timing like just the the one beat of like wait and then open door it's like you had to do that on purpose <laughs> i mean everyone's everyone's under a lot of pressure courtney cox under a lot of pressure because her parents are dead and she keeps a, just a newspaper clipping to that effect about how her parents died in a plane crash just at the top of a drawer that the cop opens at one point and just are, and not the cop one of the one of the bad guys opens and looks at it's just like oh her parents are dead from a plane crash yeah. good we'll use that later and evil lynn does use it in her wicked, twisted ways to take the form of Courtney Cox's mom and, and rule <laughs> yeah. her out. In why in would that, that fool anyone? And the only why are you giving your dead mom a synthesizer? Any superpower whatsoever? Is, is, no. I have a question for our, our resident uh, He-Man expert. Is He-Man known? F is he known for going back in time and saving somebody's dead parents? No, no. He-Man <laughs> has never traveled in time to buy down. He doesn't do. Uh, he doesn't do jack Eternia. shit. He, every single episode is the same. So here's a He-Man episode. He shows up, okay, and uh, Skeletor's like, Ah, He-Man, it's you again! Beastman, go after him! And then Beastman goes, I'll get him! And then He-Man says, Not so fast, Furface! And then Beastman goes, Furface! And then they punch him in the head, and then that's the it. That's it. That's the whole Mostly. fucking episode. Mostly. I mean, you're leaving Nothing out happens. the, like... Like if you want, if you want to explain He-Man very briefly, he's just a scrawny, he's a scrawny prince who has a sword that turns him into Conan the Barbarian. He's he's yeah. a cowardly prince who's also built like a brick shit house. Well, yeah, he's supposed to be scrawny, but because Filmation just used the same character models for everything, he's a giant fucking Hulk. But uh, you know, uh, nonetheless, that is the whole thing. So he has this sword of power, which. I guess they try and bring it at the end of the film. All of a sudden, Skeletor seems yeah. to need He-Man's sword to become God, but that's never stated in the film. And I, I don't know. It has nothing. It's not like He-Man has exhibited any sort of uh, extra normal power either. He just seems to be a beefcake. But I, I don't know. This movie's a fucking mess. Listen, I got, I got one complaint about He-Man: Masters of the Universe. Okay, so uh, I, I think. 
most of the characters should have been missing at least one limb because that's how all of my action figures looked because they were just made out of fucking <laughs> rubber, bands. rubber band legs. Man. <laughs> yeah. And then you couldn't fix him either. It's just, you know, dad's like, oh, I guess I'll super glue it. It's like, but then he can't move his leg. It's not yeah, as good. It. Yeah. You pop on the uh, little metal tab. Yeah. But you could never get the rubber band back in place. It would never work. Nope. Nope. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So yeah, everybody should have had an armor or leg ripped off. That's, that's my final thought. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, we got to move on. We got more movies. He Man Masters the Universe kicks ass. Uh, but we also watched Beastmaster. It was foretold by witches. It was conceived through sorcery. And it was to be destroyed by all that is evil. But the courage of one mortal saved it. And so, into an age of darkness, in a time of mysticism, sacrifice, and plunder. There came the only light, the Beastmaster. That's right. Uh, a movie that played on TV constantly in the 1990s. Uh, so much so that even though I've never watched it uncut, like end to end, I, I feel like I've seen this movie a thousand times. We watched Beastmaster and it was it was great. Have you ever seen more violence or, or nudity or child murder in a PG rated film? They totally drop a kid into a fire, and it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, they do. Fucking cool. <laughs> rip rip he's like, torn no, Bobby, no. <laughs> in a grotesque nose prosthesis. Yeah, he does. Oh, that's the weakest special effect. <laughs> I feel like that nose is inconsistent. In the finale, I'm like, his nose is normal now. <laughs> what happened he, to his he weird insisted on the prosthetic nose. Yeah. Uh, Coscarelli talks about it in the, uh, uh, the, the DVD commentary or the Blu-ray commentary. He's just like, yeah, like... We, we approached him about doing it, and he was super into it. And then he was just like, listen, I'm getting really into the character, and I just feel like he has to have this nose. Like, okay, <laughs> sure, do it. <laughs> Whatever, it's like man. the worst, like it's a perfect circular, like quarter circle nose prosthesis that looks just like like white putty just stuck on there. It's absolutely in a film with a couple of ropey special effects rip torn's face is the poorest one of all of them i would take yeah. that nose over frank langella's pancake batter face <laughs> hardly as offensive fair fair point but i mean i don't think we're, we're not on scale of quality here really no yeah no i mean i will say that frank langella's pancake batter face did allow for some uh pretty amazing eye acting by, <laughs> yeah. by old nixon oh yeah, Just it's true. He does, he does pretty well. And I, I've never, again, I've never seen Beastmaster before. That This is not a, a film that has any, had any presence uh, on Irish TV growing up. I've never seen it before. Uh, it feels I, did did Ireland not me. have HBO? No. we. Well, oh. um, I, I don't know if Ireland had HBO, but uh, we never did. My parents would never shell out for fucking cable. So, so uh, dude, I had the, to go the to my joke friend's is... house. The joke in the 90s, and well, I, I, I never had it, but they would always do like free weekends or whatever where you get it for a weekend and uh -huh. then you see a friend's house. But the joke was HBO stood for, in the 90s, it stood for, hey, Beastmaster is on because it was just <laughs> literally always on. Uh, and yeah, I think it was like the most requested movie on TBS, like behind Gone with the Wind or something. <laughs> so. Jesus. But, and, and that's crazy to me because, I mean, watching it now and it... It's just got released by Vinegar Syndrome in the U.S. on fucking 4K in this beautiful new restoration. That's right. And to watch it, it's like, this is not really a movie 
that should be pan and scanned and stuck on like crappy television. Like it's a really sweeping, nice looking movie, a, a carefully photographed movie. It looks so much better than Master of the Universe. They like actually had some locations <laughs> oh, yeah. to, to shoot. Um yeah, it's like it's a it's a really, you know, visually imposing film and has a pretty good design to it kind of it's not quite up there with conan i don't think but you know it's certainly got a, a similar kind of like a scope it's it's at least playing in the same kind of league as it so yeah i was kind of pleasantly surprised by because i know that most people have come to this movie seemingly through vhs or through television reruns and uh i mean i guess it fits that it has a very it's kind of like what it, it a strangely for like for a rip roaring adventure yard it's a strangely kind of meandering film honestly mm -hmm. and it runs nearly two hours so it's kind of yeah. like that perfect like sunday afternoon sort of like i just i'm in front of the tv it's on that's fine with me oh, it's got great that hangover energy movie. yeah for sure for sure and it's it's also interesting because like i don't know with these movies i i have certain expectations uh for for these sword and sorcery movies uh, one is if you if you got a male lead it's got to be positive male friendship non-stop beastmaster nails that uh, two, animal friendship, always a plus. Three, you got to be jacked. But I feel like uh, the guy who plays Dar, Mark Singer, he's not super jacked. But it's like he he just zeroed in on a few things. Like he got fit enough and then he was just like, okay, I know I'm going to be wearing a loincloth, so I'm going to have the most ripped side thighs and the most jacked ass of all time. But the rest of me is just going to be like normal workout guy. <laughs> he's carrying very little body fat. Yeah. Give the man no, credit. He's like a shredded Kevin Bacon. He's not like Arnold adjacent. Yeah, no, he's, no. He's, he's like right. lean. He's he's lean, like wiry. He's like a fucking furniture remover guy, you know, like yeah. just uh, or, or a crack addict somewhere in between those two <laughs> things. Just sort of like, yeah, just lean, wiry. I'm going to call him authentic. This is what a barbarian might actually look like. This sort of physical shit. Yeah. Not like this, fucking Arnie. The yeah, the Conan Arnie is like too beefy, I think, for, for what I, I would imagine. This guy, I think he looks great. He's shredded as hell and he's he's yeah, he's he's good. I like He's it. got the baby oil, certainly. The one thing I will say, and I, I don't know why I'm just dwelling on this, I guess because the entire movie is just staring at this dude. Uh, so, I mean, I guess you just got to stare at a dude. Um, I and I'm not the best gauge of this, and I know like Arnie's not exactly a handsome man ever, but you know he had a body that Arnie has, which is you know its own thing. Mark Singer also not a handsome man, I don't think. I I feel like the the shredded body was really the the main thing. He he's not like a a, a great physical or like facial beauty. I I just get that feeling watching it. Maybe I'm wrong. Ladies, I mean, he's better looking than any know. of us, but he is. I, I really do think sure. he's kind of like Kevin Bacon adjacent. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's gonna, you know, set off anybody's horny alarm. Um, well, you could say yeah, Hamill too, right? I mean, oh yeah, talking yeah. about oh, Star yeah. Wars, it's mm -hmm. sure, yeah, sure. absolutely. Luke but like, he was, he was clearly hired because of his physique rather than like, but it's kind of strange to me they couldn't find a guy with a similar physique who's maybe just like a little bit more, you know beaten nice around the face but uh whatever it's it doesn't matter this man basically like the only people he really has eyes for are ferrets so what does it matter yeah. i mean i'm glad they didn't because i think singer's quite good in this movie i i mean he gives off like this sort of warmth and charisma that if you would have just gone for the the beefcake hunk then maybe sure it wouldn't work i, I mean i'm 
I'm I'm talking crass commercial. I'm trying to talk about making dollars at him, you know? Well, it's Don Coscarelli. I I don't know that the man was ever that interested in making dollars. This seemed to be like his his biggest shot to make the big bucks. And unfortunately, he made this the same year as Conan the Barbarian, and it did not make the big bucks. (laughs) This is a crazy, like, this is such a decision because Coscarelli obviously made his name with, with Phantasm, which is a fantastic weird horror film like a genuinely kind of like strange dream puzzle box horror film it's one of my favorites one of those films that just every time you watch it it feels a little different a little more amorphous and strange um and i guess he just he he went from that to to this with this idea of like i'm not going to make another horror movie i'm going to make this like beastmaster this big bright open space sword and sorcery man communing with the animals movie it's it's bold i will give full credit for that what then uh, after this he's like okay never mind i'll make five more fantastic yeah well he he (laughs) wanted this to be like his big like sprawling breakthrough serious business movie um but that kind of fell apart into what we have which i still think it's it's fucking fantastic i'm not going to talk shit about this movie but uh I don't think he got to do exactly what he wanted. Like, for instance, uh, if, I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, parts of the beginning when before we see Dar as like a beefcake man when he's just like a kid, some of the shots are kind of like weirdly cramped. And the reason is, is because he wanted to shoot it with an anamorphic lens but nobody on the crew, because he just hired jabronis, nobody knew how to use one because they had never used one before. So they shot all the child shit out of focus. So then the producers came in and made him switch to like regular camera lenses, but they weren't allowed to reshoot any of the scenes. So he basically has a bunch of like weird cramp frames and, and like out of focus shots at the beginning. So it kind of adds this like dreamlike haziness to it but and that's that's crazy because the next movie we'll talk about is all out of focus on purpose that's yeah presumably. that's like <laughs> lucio fulci smearing olive oil on the fucking camera lens but that's that's a totally different thing <laughs> uh but but yeah so I, I think part of this movie why it why it works so well is because it's so ambitious and coscarelli at this point he's still he's probably his mid-20s late 20s he's really young and he does phantasm he he gets a, a, rightly a lot of praise and credit for making a pretty cool horror movie and then he just wants to shoot his shot on this one but he's only got like a million dollars so what do you do and honestly for what he does with what he has is absolutely incredible it's it's just a kick-ass movie it really is i yeah i i agree i had seen this once before like a couple years ago but yeah revisiting the vinegar syndrome blu-ray which looks amazing could seriously get lost in tanya roberts blue eyeballs uh this movie is just fucking awesome it rules like the opening is so crazy uh ripped horn he has these like followers who will kill themselves on a moment's notice with these crazy wraparound chains that turn into instant nooses that they use to propel into the ceiling. And then also, they have to protect young Dar, who's destined by three witches to kill Riptorn's character by using, like, liquid uh, glow stick neon juice to transfer his body into that of a cow so he can be born secretly in the woods. 
That's well, how right. else are you going to talk to animals if you don't get born of a cow, Jake? Except, like, be fair. Yeah. I, it's a beautiful... That's why we I always crawl into a cow uterus. The fucking ferrets in this movie are awesome. Kodo oh, and Poto. The ferrets. You could not ask for be- a better ensemble cast of animals than any movie ever. It's they're they're just great. It, it is. It's a it's a movie about man's friendship to the animals because this one will continue as we we move into our final film, the uh, wonderful theme of hot bodied women with like uh, terrible faces. You know, like butterface women. I guess would be your technical term. And the kind of like I guess uh, a, an overarching theme that you know sexy ladies are a terrible distraction from from bro time. And you best you best <laughs> repel yourself from them, which really is kind of like the the, the growing theme of this film and uh, conquest uh, is pretty much just you know like ladies not worth your time. I guess Tanya Roberts fits in pretty okay, but honestly, she doesn't really have a lot to do in this movie. She I think she's kind of personable in this, but I, I you know I kind of you feel like they could do a little more, but I guess that's always the struggle in these movies where she's clearly just there because uh, it's kind of like something to put in here you know it's kind of like the, it's expected mm. um one one other thing so that, beastmaster uh, can I, do his pickup artist flex <laughs> yeah, <laughs> during that yeah. waterfall scene where he just like <laughs> uses the tiger to i don't know impress her or whatever that he tries to move it for a kiss it's it's pretty fucking it's, a, it's a, yeah, yeah. A zany a zany sequence uh, i will one one other thing which i think definitely bears mention in this movie is we talked about uh mark singer being half naked for this movie but john amos half naked is oh, something i was, I was oh, we had to get into that i was saying uh, you got lost in tanya roberts eyes i was getting lost in those <laughs> beefy thighs of johnny oh my god just yeah he, he fucking brings it too just a tall chocolate milkshake. I just like <laughs> I, his thighs are incredible too because he, it, like his loincloth, it's just it's all side ass. And you think like at any moment he's gonna just like swing some dick. He had to he had to tape that thing back. That's the only thing. I, like he's got to be tucking right. I am I am amazed he like was yeah. Let's do this because it's it's like I mean he's not in bad shape or anything, but it's just a really weird look when he throws off no. his like rope and he's just dressed like that. <laughs> he's he's just like one of those like just super barrel chested dudes with like mega dump truck ass just like ready to go super scary but also not loincloth ready so I don't know they they a lot of double sided <laughs> tape to keep his shit together God bless him well it's weird as most people probably associate him with like coming to America at this sure state. It's like oh yeah, <laughs> yeah the I mean, owner of McDowell's is this <laughs> giant beefcake in this fucking movie. <laughs> This is probably like, have you ever seen more boobs in a PG movie? That's the other thing that, that blew my mind because oh, yeah. you get, you get in, there's, there's a whole scene where you get a naked bond girl and her friend with Tanya Roberts and they're, they're like, Oh, we're just bathing underneath a waterfall. And then I don't know if you guys caught this, but in the beginning of the movie, oh, yeah. when, when Dar's village is being Jay ransacked, gosh. Yeah, Jake's always catching. The 4K Blu-ray reveals friend. quite a bit of information, but Steve, please continue. This is this <laughs> is my second favorite fact about Beastmaster. The first fully visible breast in the film, so the the woman who's like running topless from the horse through the village, uh, that boob, that's David Carradine's ex-wife. So congratulations, he <laughs> <laughs> saw David wow, Carradine's very, ex-wife's boob. That's a very very zen moment for us all there. Would you like to hear my favorite fact about Beastmaster? Uh, yeah. 
because this you guys are really going to enjoy this. So Jack, you're going to be foaming at the mouth after you hear this. You're going to be very excited. Uh, I so already the, am. So when when Dar leaves the village and he does that nerd ass shit where he's just like he's like an eight year old boy just running around with his sword going like hi ya. Uh, so there's a part <laughs> where he's running through that river, and you may have said to yourself, "Man, this looks really familiar." And the reason is is because that river where he's he's running through. Uh, that's the same location where uh, Vic Burrow and the, and the two children died oh, while no. filming John Landis's segment in Twilight Zone, <laughs> oh, the movie. Oh, no. Wow. Uh, uh, incredible, incredible amount of history buried in that place, Just obviously. Incredible about, yeah. So, because I seriously, I was looking at it like, why the fuck does this look so familiar to me? And it's like, oh, that's that's where Max Landis's dad killed people. Great. Fucking Awesome. Yeah, Jack says history is buried there. I prefer the term evidence. Evidence, evidence <laughs> is buried there. That's that's beautiful. the the Landis family is all about burying evidence at this point. Oh, that's that's what they do best. <laughs> Which one's worse? It's hard to say at this point. Oh man, they have a competition, and those guys are competitive. I think I think Max Landis can probably make bright too now because Army Hammer came in. And he's just like, no, I want to be the worst man in Hollywood. I'm a legitimate cannibal. So it's how do you compete with that at this point? I believe by decapitating uh, some children is a, a solid guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But he's he's already been forgiven by Hollywood, so we have to. <laughs> we it have didn't to take long. It Hollywood didn't take long. So. He was still making money. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I before we abandon this entirely, I just wanted to note that it is quite interesting to pair this with Masters of the Universe because it like the way that Singer looks and portrays Dar, he's even got He-Man's like doofy ass haircut. Like yeah. I, I realize it's not like a ripoff by any search. They came out the same year. I'm sure they're all being developed simultaneously, but it's just so interesting. Like Jack gets his battle cat in this movie, and uh, <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the Beastmaster feels so adjacent to Filmation property, like uh, he essentially shares the the power set of uh, later Filmation uh, creation, Brave Star, and yeah, it's just, I found it very interesting to watch these in conjunction. This is certainly more successful as as an adaptation of material it was not intending to even adapt. He's got (laughs) the best animal friends in the world, too. He's got, you know, his strength from his black panther thing which is just a tiger that they painted and he's got his vision from his his bird guy and and his cool little ferret buddies and oh my favorite animals of the uh of the beastmaster universe so that i feel they don't really comment on too much are the weird bat people who just liquefy everyone and who so far as i could tell could easily take over this entire planet if they felt like it mm-hmm how do they fit in? That's a weird disjoint. They're, they're just, they're there and they just, they're hunting people. Like, they're clearly not friends. Like, they, they prey on humans, but then they come in to help out for some reason and then they just fly away and it's like, they're still out there. And it's, it's kind yeah. of, I'm not sure we could feel too confident about the future of human race with these fucking weird mutant bats going around. The way that was, like, edited into the film was strange, too, because it's right after he meets Tanya Roberts, and she says she's a slave of these priests, and he's like, oh, I'm going to fight the Juns, but I should come with you and free you. And she's like, oh, you'd have better luck with the Juns. And then he immediately follows her and ends up at this bat temple place, and I'm I'm like, oh, these must be the priests. And it's like, no, no, they're not. They're just 
weird bad creatures that dissolve just just unnamed enemies or allies, I guess, ultimately, who are who seem that they're just like, you know what, we'll help you out and we'll live in beautiful harmony, except every so often we will apparently kidnap people to eat. Yeah. I don't even think they eat them, they just hug them and then turn them into bones. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought she was gonna be in one of those cages. Yeah, how how different is that gonna be from what Rip Tor like Rip Torn sacrifices children to his god? Like these guys just eat people randomly. Is there a particular difference between the two, but one is fine because they help Dar out? No, I... Uh, <laughs> it's impossible to say. I'm not sure say. the ethics of this this whole thing. I don't know. The, the ethics of Beastmaster. I guess we gotta check out Beastmaster 2 to find out how that ends, except that it, it doesn't tell us. No, it probably Maybe doesn't Beast tell Master you Maybe Beastmaster 3 mm-hmm. holds the key. I haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen... Last thing I'm going to say about Beastmaster is, well, one, it's better than Game of Thrones. Just watch Beastmaster. Uh, Two, I'm going to need you guys to sort this out. Jake, you're pretty good at keeping track of things like this, so I want you to to work through the plot with me here a little bit, and I'm going to need an explanation, okay? So, Beastmaster. Yes. We learn that he is, okay, so he is born royalty, he is uh, rescued by a peasant, raised a peasant, mm-hmm. has no idea that he is royalty. Later on, he runs into a young boy, which we find out is his younger brother. That younger brother is believed to be the king. Also, that younger well, brother... the heir to the king. The heir, heir to the king, yeah, the, exactly, because the king is... Well, he's not dead yet, but he's about to be. Spoilers. Uh, so... The little kid, his cousin, we find out, is Tanya Roberts. So by the time we get to the end, the king is dead. Beastmaster should be king. But he says, no, little brother will be a better king. And then he leaves, the Beastmaster leaves with Tanya Roberts so they can fuck like the ferrets. Okay, because the ferrets have babies too. That's that's a fun, cute thing at the end. So what we're getting to here is... The Beastmaster is banging his cousin, right? Like this is like a Rudy Giuliani marriage where like he's gonna he's gonna be with his cousin for the rest of his life. Uh yeah, I I guess so. Um God, I just wanna before I accuse the Beastmaster of fucking his cousin, I want to make sure it wasn't I wasn't out of line here. I mean, what would you do if Tanya Roberts was your cousin? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and there were and there were Fair no point. rules. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he talk talks to the animals. The animals probably told him it, they wouldn't it is, care. It is a it is a very much uh, an Oedipal sort of tale because it's that starts mm-hmm. the same way. Unborn child is prophesized to kill the king and sleep with his mother. I guess this tones that down by he kills the guy who kills the king to sleep with his cousin. I don't know. Some <laughs> kind of. I guess that's the consolation that they, they they could have their cake and eat it too. I guess. Yeah, I mean sure. to be fair, Steve, this dude is getting like I mean his his primary friends are like some ferrets. So honestly, mm, yeah, sky's the limit yeah. in terms of what this guy's capable of. He's a loose cannon. True. He's a deranged freak. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, rest assured, uh, having seen Beastmaster two, there's no Tanya Roberts to be found. So uh, you know, he, maybe he okay. thought better of it. Yeah, the, that's that's a good point. Raider. Thank you, Myros. All right, boys. Well, we got one more movie left, so uh, why don't we fulcify this podcast? We watch Conquest. An act of courage to conquer the queen of darkness.
armies of evil to win the weapons of light. Feel the power. Accept the challenge of conquest. All right, so what we got here, we got a uh, like a Sega Genesis boss fight soundtrack. We got Vaseline <laughs> smeared all over the camera lens. We got like a, a, a topless woman in a metal mask and her Wookiee army. I couldn't tell what anybody was saying at any given point, and I, I, I don't even honestly know what was going on in this. I liked it. I, I couldn't tell you what the plot of this movie was. So, Jake, could you please explain to me what is Conquest about? Oh, God. It's about uh, 92 minutes long, um, directed by <laughs> Lucio Fulci. Uh, screenplay. No. Um, yeah, I, I, I admit this film kind of exists as a haze in my memory, much like the, the film itself. It's starting to come back to me now. So there's a hero uh, named Ilias who's basically uh, chosen, I guess, to... Yeah, rid, even though he's a scrawny loser. ...rid the world of evil because he has a magic bow that can shoot multiple arrows in different directions and hit many targets. Uh, and he later teams up with a guy named Mace, who's actually more of a real hero and is in in more of the beefcake mold of uh, Dar and He-Man. And meanwhile, there's this uh, evil nude serpent lady. Uh, is that Zora? Is she, uh, yeah, so she's... That's Okron, oh, isn't it? Okron, yeah. She's, uh, yeah, she basically, she's she's ruling the land, and she's also has a vision of a youth that is going to kill her, so she sets out to kill him before she dies, and uh, that's, uh, the movie is just a lot of encounters with uh, with evil creatures and our two heroes. And uh, it is, uh, it's, it's very much a Fulci film. We get a lot of oozing shots of uh, pussy wounds from poisoned arrows. Uh, there's a scene where some dolphins save a guy from drowning on a cross underneath the, the bottom of the sea. Uh, and yeah, like you said, not just like smeared, but like it's as if the whole camera was dunked in a vat of Vaseline before they rolled. Because this film this is the softest focus film I've ever seen. It's yeah. incredible, <laughs> and and it's augmented by like a a plethora of smoke machines that they had off camera. So it's 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 like just a hazy, blurry. It, it's like the film is shot with like glaucoma simulator two thousand. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and the, and half the film is shot with like a major key light source right behind the actors. So like a good chunk of its silhouette. Yeah, they're they're like their features are all blown out. It's very it's it's not it's not exactly a, a pretty picture. Although it is striking to look at at times. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I gotta say of conquest like this is uh, and it's kind of refreshing coming because the other two are very pointedly like pg films they have they have elements of them that are like a little risque certainly beastmaster incorporates the fools in a little more nudity because like pg and at that yeah. point and in the 80s sex. was a little more yeah it was a little more cowboy country than it is now but uh, this is like fulci so it's like straight up just naked like literally within the first 10 minutes a nude woman two beast men grab onto her legs and tear her in two <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's just yeah that just happens and it's like that does not happen in Beastmaster or masters of the universe uh-huh. nor does any equivalent there's multiple slow zoom ins on bloody wounds uh that that happens a lot of this it's very much in the spirit of the sword and sandal movie in that ultimately it's about people being hit with uh just heavy objects and just suffering grievous bodily injury um, but what I, what I really like about this film is it's, uh, you know, and I think fair to say, I would say I would count this as a lesser Fulci film, but mm-hmm. it is still such a singularly unusual piece of work. It, it I, I don't know. I didn't, you know, check. I couldn't find bits about like Fulci's own opinions on the film, but um, I don't like I couldn't tell from this if he has any respect whatsoever for sword and sandal movies. Um. Italy certainly is a, a long and proud lineage of them. You know, Mario Bava made several incredible ones, um, like Hercules in the Haunted World and so on. Uh, but this is just feels like Fulci just kind of like, I guess, not having a budget or not having just a, a great sense of, uh, you know, maybe maybe the material just didn't inspire him that much. So he just figured he'd just do something else with it. And as Jake has described, I mean, the visual template for this film is unlike anything i've ever seen it is like jess franco like but further like just absolutely just Mm -hmm. shimmering soft sad like it's like i mean dreyer's vampire almost you know the idea like shot through a gauze the whole film it just breaks every rule of like normal cinematography but i know i mean i've seen lots of fulci films a man can make an incredible looking picture on like fucking nothing so they they did this on purpose no question and it is such an odd looking film and then they just overlay that claudio simonetti score to just create this just yeah so it's like it's just a bunch it's a bunch of dudes in loincloths and then just like yeah like a keyboard synthesizer just like running over the top it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, like, honestly, I would watch this any day of the week. I like how it has a proper, like, fucking video game battle theme. <laughs> like, every time <laughs> yeah, they get it's... jumped by these guys, it's like, the new boss fight in Mega Man. And it's episodic enough that, honestly, like, it really, like, the first hour and ten minutes of this movie is just two dudes walking along until someone fights them. That's it. That's the movie. Yeah, then yep. the Wookiees come, and then they fight the Wookiees, and then, well, and because it's Fulci, um, he, he's got to do, like, the most dire fucking sad sack swerve of all time. So, basically, our hero is just like, well, I'm a baby, I'm going to go back home, do you want to come with me? And his his bro is like, no, this is my homeland, I must stay here. And then he says, well, take my bow. I don't need it. It's a gift. He goes, no, I cannot take your bow. And then you think they're just going to part and there's going to be this like wave and kiss blowing thing. And then the movie's going to end. And then you realize there's like more than 20 minutes left. And pretty much the way this wraps up is really fucked up. So the actual beefcake, he gets captured by the, I don't know what they are, the blue sea monster people. And then they're like Spider Men. Yeah, think. I don't know what they are, and they're just like, "Where is your friend? Bring your friend to us. We do not like him." And but he's just like, "I have no friends," because he hasn't gotten to that level of dudes rock yet, where he can just embrace positive masculinity and hug his boys. Oh, Cuff, you should mention briefly that he has tattooed on his forehead, "Every man is an enemy." 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which I could see that being a turnoff for male friendship, but we get past <laughs> it because skinny boy in his little grass boat, he, he has like a vision. He turns around, he comes back. He's got the bow. He kills the spider sea creatures. And they're like, all right, let's fucking do this. And he's like, yeah, we are friends. Let's do it. Just chest bump buddies, hugs and kisses. And you go, okay, so now they're really going to fucking do it. The movie wasn't over. They're reunited. They're going to go kill the booby queen. This is going to happen. And then two seconds later, they're just walking along, and they have this, like, throwaway scene where it's just like, well, we should, we should walk at night and then just camp during the day. It'll be safer. So they lay down. And then the guy who's been the hero, the guy with the bow, the, the, the main protagonist of the entire fucking film, he just gets dragged underground and literally decapitated. Like, beautiful scene. He just he can't, the, the 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 fucking bromance occurs and it's beautiful. And then Fulci says, "No, you don't get that." And he just kills his main character. Steve, I'm gonna pause it, okay? But Mace has this symbol tattooed on his forehead that indicates every man is an enemy. And Ilias looks past this, and in a way, doesn't that make this kind of like a spiritual forebear to American History X? I think the answer <laughs> the answer is yes, a hundred percent. That's exactly what's happening here. And Mace right. comes to love his fellow man, all of his fellow men, except for Boob mm -hmm. Queen, who he despises because she's a oh, bitch. We, we all and hate he, the Boob Queen. Oh, she's the worst. And uh, yeah. and it doesn't help that underneath her metal mask, it turns out she's ugly. So like that's mm. definitely the like, final nail in the coffin on her. And uh, so yeah, he. It, it's funny to me that ironically, the Fulci film I think actually has the strongest dramatic twist to it in that there is this moment that the the protagonist can leave and he, you know he he can leave safely and go back and live a happy peaceful life and he decides no i meant for something more and he dies and but someone else is inspired by that mace is inspired by that to carry on uh, it's it's within the weird vagaries of a very disjointed film it feels like kind of like a, a pretty central dramatic nugget you know it, it actually I wouldn't say it exactly affected me. It's not like I was, like, tearing up watching Conquest, but it's like, this is a little more than I was expecting to happen. And I'd seen this movie before, and I'd forgotten most of it. Because like Jake says, it's a very difficult movie to remember because it really just feels like a weird dream. It feels like something that wasn't allowed to happen, that somehow just kind of occurred, and they got it on film. Um, but yeah, it, it's sort of funny to me that Fulci, of all fucking people, managed, like, a really <laughs> strong, dramatic... <laughs> moment a pivotal oh. shift which honestly neither of the other two films have master of the universe certainly doesn't have anything equivalent to it no what no. do you mean beastmaster kills one of the ferrets in a thing that uh, is kind of irrelevant to the movie really yeah beastmaster really tugged at my heartstrings multiple times like here's a movie that kills a dog in the opening 10 minutes and then <laughs> kills an adorable ferret in the closing 10 minutes but then well, I guess they salvage the it. Sacrifice himself for the greater good, which is the dumbass who won't watch his back while fucking. I mean, who gets jumped by ripped horn for Christ's sake? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's always like throwing confetti everywhere and stuff. Like it, it, it doesn't make any. Oh, that's Rip Taylor. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I guess they try and save it with the. But the other ferret had babies. It's like yeah, now that ferret's gonna grow up in a fatherless household. How does that feel? Not great. Uh, I have more good news for you. Uh, Beastmaster 2. Uh, the ferret is magically alive again. 
Oh, well, there you go. They, they didn't even go to the next generation of ferrets. How long did ferrets live, even, for Beastmaster? I assumed they would have just defaulted to the kids. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. How long does a ferret live? By the way, I, I don't like that Jack is uh, going through this Italian sword and sandals history and uh, executing some erasure on uh, the greatest sword and sandal filmmaker in Italian film. Uh, mm. One Joe D'Amato and his classic <laughs> Ator series. Oh, Ator? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I brought up Mario Bava ahead of Joe D'Amato. You forgot the master. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I I forgot the series of movies that reuses the fucking goblin costume or whatever. <laughs> we we watched that at my at my apartment, didn't we? we <laughs> I saw. Yeah, I don't, was that a tour four. I, I don't remember. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's the one where like it was like sometimes considered a an unofficial sequel to Troll Two. Uh, yeah, because... I think it's one of like five movies that are called Troll Three for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because they reused the costumes. You, you pointed out at some point there was like the worst ADR you'd ever seen in a movie, and it was like some scene where I can't even remember what it was like. They were around a campfire, and they just had the most clumsily like jammed in line possible. That they it's horrible because yeah, they're sitting around the campfire, and then the guy botches the line, and he starts to re say the line again, and he kind of botches it again, and they just ADR over the second botch. <laughs> But they it's leave insane. the first botch in. But they leave the about. first botch in, yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, ferrets live to be five to ten years, by the way, or live to be five to ten years old. How good so I was going to say. Yeah, I, I looked it up, too. <laughs> I think we wrapped <laughs> everything up. All right, let's go home. Well, I mean, it, it's unspecified how much time passes between Beastmaster 1 and 2, so maybe they're still alive. It's, it's worth mentioning they travel through time, I'm guessing, in Beastmaster 2, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So no, they don't. Even though that's in the title, I want to. I want to touch on that. That the dog that dies in Beastmaster, because that is very affecting. But we should note that that's like the 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 price of loyalty. I've I've never seen it weighed so heavily on a character. This dog drags the unconscious Beastmaster out of his village while it's being torn apart and burned down, and effectively saves his life so he can avenge him. But the dog is like suffering from an arrow wound in its like the dog's dragging him away with an arrow sticking out of his side. If that's not yeah. man's best friend, I don't know what is. Oh, I mean, to be fair, stuff. yeah, my my dog wouldn't wouldn't do that for me. But, um, no, I don't think. Yeah, I think I really like that effect, too, because it's clear that there's someone pushing the body from the There's one point where the dog is not pulling and the body just keeps going. Oh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> bo he, the body's clearly on a skateboard underneath like a grass cover. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Just cruising. The magic of cinema. All right, boys. Well, we got to wrap this up, but uh, I'm, I'm so happy that we did uh, Sword and Sorcery Week. We're going to have to do this again uh, because, damn, I just, I'm, I'm, love, I'm loving the beefcake vibes. There's about a I'm, million I'm films to choose from. Male friendship. Yeah. The, really? We, yeah, we could. <laughs> we only have 500 more to watch, then we'll catch them all. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do our putovers. Jake, what are you putting over this week? Uh, all right, let's see. I'm going to put over a um, uh, an animated pilot for a TV show uh, that aired on Adult Swim last year. It's a show called Smiling Friends. It's, uh, it's kind of Rick and Morty-esque, but I think it's a bit funnier, if you ask me. It's uh, basically the premise is that there's this company called Smiling Friends where they send out their agents to help out people who are depressed and try to show them a good life so that they can stop feeling depressed. 
And uh, so the episode is about the two leads go out and their case is a middle-aged suicidal uh, obese guy. And the draw here is that he's voiced by Mike Stoklasa, the founder of uh, Red Letter Media. It's basically an animated version of his Mr. Plinkett character. And the whole time he's, <laughs> he's the whole time he's in the episode, he's just like standing in a, an ill-fitting T-shirt, his underwear, and he's got a gun pointed to his head like the entire time. Um, it's, it's, you can watch it on comedy or, uh, on uh, Adult Swim's website. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, Smiling Friends. It's only an 11 minute pilot. Check it out. Perfect. Jack, what are you putting over this week? All right. So, uh, inadvertently, uh, unrelated to this podcast, I've actually ended up watching several Lucio Fulci films, uh, this week. Well, rewatching them, in fact. Uh, they're the ones I've seen before. Well, uh, the one that's really stuck out to me that really, uh, really changed in my estimation i feel like i missed the film the first time i watched it many many years ago is uh don't torture a duckling uh so i just rewatched that last night and it is phenomenal it's absolutely top tier fulci um and as much as we joke about fulci movies generally tending to not make sense this is um effortlessly the most cogent fulci film i've ever seen certainly from like the post 70s output um really really incredible film a really actually punchy social commentary a kind of like a scathing furious uh social comment element to it um tremendous film uh yeah it's, it's kind of just kind of blew me away I, I you know i really enjoy fulci's films but i tend to enjoy them in their kind of surreal uh, kind of jumblement to some degree in their stylistic bravura. This is that just incredible, like, every scene is directed to the nines. Like, it's just incredible looking. Every, yeah. like, this thing, you could teach this for, like, focus pullers. Uh, God, those guys earned their wages in this one. But the actual storyline itself and everything fits together beautifully. So, um, really, and arguably, maybe a feminist Fulci film? kind of so if and he if that, uh he eviscerates the catholic church pretty well too oh so yeah oh it. <laughs> it's incredible so yeah don't torture a duckling uh changed my opinion completely on it absolutely amazing good stuff uh Myros, what are you putting over this week oh uh, yeah i i actually watched willow with the intent of putting that over as, as something interesting that kind of undercut uh masters of the universe and, and did what it was attempting to do but it turns out willow no, it's not very good. It doesn't work for me anymore. So what I am putting over is a film we've been touching on here, uh, Beastmaster 2, Through the Portal of Time. Uh, <laughs> if you like this sort of bullshit camp that Masters of the Universe is doing, well, strap in, because Beastmaster 2 is... I, it thought it was a great idea, and like four years later was like, let's do that exact same thing again. Uh, they, in fact, do, do not go through time. Uh, Dar and... Uh, his newly discovered brother, uh, Wings Hauser, uh, both <laughs> go, through, <laughs> go through a portal to an alternate dimension, uh, which is uh, present day 1991 Los Angeles. And uh, Wings Hauser is attempting to uh, acquire a nuclear bomb to decimate his world. And uh, sorry, they Dyer don't travel through it. time, but they they just so like. Like our world is an alternate dimension. Correct. Yes. Oh, okay. I see. F yeah. That's fair. It says in the title, "Wingshauser" is all I need to know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, really goddamn stupid. But uh, I don't know. Sarah Douglas is like 
this witch in in the movie that is kind of driving the plot along and it, she is having a blast and knows exactly what type of movie she's in uh mark singer well he's definitely nine years older in this film but uh he's, he's still making it work and uh it's shitty but i had a lot of fun with it and i'm guessing most of our viewers probably would too our viewers listeners you know, if if you took Beastmaster two and you swapped out like the the two main uh, leads and you put in Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger, would you just have a twin sequel? Uh I mean, probably as as watchable as Junior. Uh, <laughs> this also has in in bit parts uh, Robert Zadar, Michael Barron, oh, oh. and in a, a little bit beefier role, uh, James Avery. Whew. Man, you just you just all my favorites. It's like a checklist. That's beautiful. All right. Well, this week I am uh, I'm, I'm putting over a combination. Actually, I I was inspired by the films that we watched, and I said to myself, a lot of beefcakes. Why not me? Why can't I be the beefcake? So I started doing the uh, the the we or not the we uh, the the switch ring fit thing been doing the ring fit so i think i'm gonna look like uh probably dolph lundgren in another week or two i would say uh going from just like melted marshmallows over a wiry frame into dolph lundgren seems like a just like a two-week project for me uh in addition to that y- you need a soundtrack while you're watching the sword and sorcery movies and you're trying to get jack like dolph and I have found that uh, Bolt Thrower's 1991 album War Master is a is a fantastic choice for that. So I mean, even the cover looks like a, like a Beastmaster sequel or a, or a Fulci film. So check that out. It's uh, it's good. It's just really awesome metal, and it's got Cookie Monster vocals and great riffs. What else do you need in life? Absolutely nothing. That's what. So. Uh, that being said, if you are listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor. Check out the description on your little mobile device that you're listening to. And in the description of this podcast, you will see two links. The first link will take you to our iTunes page. And on that page, you can do us a huge favor by leaving us a five-star written review, if you've not done that yet. And why would you do such a thing? Great question. The answer is it's just it helps our like discoverability on iTunes. So... Uh, please do us a solid. It takes you like three seconds. Just do it if you haven't yet. Help us out a lot. If you are feeling particularly ambitious, you can also go to the other link, which will take you to our Patreon page. And there you can you can give us money for making podcasts for you. How lovely. Uh, it's not like there's anything going on in the world that would prevent you from having additional disposable income, right? So why not give it to us? Uh, but yeah, for the low price of just $3, you can... Uh, get access to a, a giant back catalog of written work as well as exclusive podcasts. It's all wonderful. Uh, for five dollars, you can you can move up a rung and hey, you can get your name announced on this very podcast. You could be the next Paula or you could be the next Dustin. And who doesn't want to be a Paula every day? I wake up, I say, why am I not a Paula? I look like a Paula. I feel like a Paula. Why am I not a Paula? But here I am. I'm just a Steve. Anyways. And you know what? You can you can donate even more. And if you get to the highest tier, then you get to actually choose a topic for an optimism vaccine podcast. How exciting for you would that be? I, I imagine it would be the high point of your life. So Ator, please sure request Ator. Please request Ator. Yes, we would like to watch Ator again. 
<laughs> please. Any excuse for me to watch Ator is is one I will take. Um, in addition to that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, you can contact us on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine. Yell at us. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros has the inbox open, and he's hitting refresh just, just over and over and over again. That's all that he does, so he's ready for you. Uh, go ahead and say hi. And Jake, as always, last word is yours. I am Dar. 